All right. Okay. So you good to start? I'm good to start. If okay. you're good to start. Yes. Yeah, okay. Three, two, one. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Wednesday's Women. As you guys saw, we took a little bit of a hiatus. School's been crazy, but we are back and more ready than ever. Um, today, we will be talking about the one, the only, Phyllis Schlafly. Someone we love to hate, but felt it was important to talk about. So... We're just going to jump right in. Oh, but I did want to bring this up, though, before we start. So, like, um, I'm the one who presented it to Taylor that we should talk about her. And she's like, I mean, I understand, like, how she fits in, but I don't like her. And I'm like, oh, no, no, this is not going to be, a, like, a humanizing conversation. So, we always said we didn't want to represent just women who fit our viewpoints. And while... I am not a fan of Phyllis Safley. I can respect where she came from in her position. And so I'm willing to do women who I don't particularly care for, but that I can respect. I'm not willing to do women that I don't respect. Yeah, exactly. So we do respect Phyllis Safley. We just don't agree with her. Yeah. So Phyllis Schlafly, she was born Phyllis McAlpin Stewart. On August 15th, 1924 in St. Louis, she was the oldest of two um, to the former Odell Dodge, a teacher who, wait, I'm going to start that over, Taylor. What is this? Of the former Odell Dodge. Oh, Odell. Odile? I think it's Odell, but because um, Odell takes Stewart's name. So it's, like, that's why she's the former Odell Dodge. She becomes oh. Mrs. Stewart. Okay, I'm good now. I, I think it's Odell. We're going to go. I don't know. Okay. So Phyllis Schlafly was born Phyllis McAlpin Stewart on August 15, 1924 in St. Louis. She was the oldest of two daughters to the former Odell Dodge who was a teacher with two college degrees, which is really interesting considering she was a woman at a very early time to when women were starting to like become more apparent in the um, educational arena. And the father was John Bruce Stewart, a mechanic and industrial equipment salesman who was 17 years his wife's senior. So. Gross. <laughs> yeah. Um, we don't judge here, though. We don't. I just always am hesitant when I see a large age gap. Because, like, I guess if they met when she was in her 20s, it's not a huge deal. But if he met her when she was, like, 18, it's weird. Yeah. So, at the onset of the Great Depression, Mr. Stewart lost his job and was unable to reconcile the family's finances. Um, and that is important to note because these hardships that he experienced remained, um, like, they didn't influence his political beliefs. He still remained a very staunch Republican. Um, he was fiercely opposed to the New Deal and those, uh, 
beliefs, I'm sure, were a great influence to the upbringing of Phyllis Schlafly. I'm sure they were, and I also feel like that's kind of prevalent today. And I don't know if it's necessarily the idea that they think the Republican Party is going to help them, or if it's just the idea that they still have like a bootstrap mentality and they're hoping to recover from it. Yeah. Um, and he was not the only person opposed to the New Deal. The New Deal was a very contentious topic at the time. Now we look back on it and see the benefit it brought, but it's really hard to see those benefits when you're living in the moment. Absolutely. So Miss Stewart, who was, an am- who was ambitious for her daughters, she supported the family with a series of jobs. She was a department store saleswoman, elementary school teacher, and a librarian at the St. Louis Art Museum. And in her spare time, she wrote a book on the history of St. Louis. Um, and this is really important to note because uh, as we'll hear more, Phyllis Schlafly was very much against women uh, being in the workforce. She felt that a woman's place was in the home. Um, so it's interesting if possibly her mom's like, I don't want to say absence, but her not being there kind of influenced how she got to that decision. Mm-hmm. So Miss Falsenthal um, suggested in her book that Miss Shafley's impatience with women who, like we just said, denigrated homemaking stemmed in part from her mother's wish that she could have kept house and worked for good causes rather than report for work six days a week. However, at the time, I like, and it's just like it is today. Like if you have two parents working, it is a lot easier to sustain a household with children. So I think that's important to note. Yes. After college and working on a congressional campaign, she worked as a librarian and a researcher at a bank. Um, And then at 24, she met John Fred Schlafly Jr. I don't like him, but they got married. He was a 39-year-old lawyer and politically engaged conservative from the Alton family um, that had made its money in banking and industry. And they got married October 20th, 1949. I believe they only ever called him Fred. Like, even though his first name's John, he's always going to be referred to as Fred just because I believe that's how he was um, addressed in real life. Um, Yeah. My stepdad's the same way. His first name's Stanley, but everyone calls him Joe. Yeah. I genuinely didn't know his first name was Stanley until I was, like, an early teenager. Um, I'm going to feed my cat. He's being aggressive. I love that. Here you go, sir. The finest kibble, pet smart ass. I love him, but he tests me every day. So Phyllis was delighted whenever she herself was able to be seen as a traditional wife and housemaker. Um, She even kept a hectic pace of travel, writing, speaking, and campaigning after her oldest child turned 18 months. Um, And something that uh, is very prevalent, if you ever do research on her, is her very popular opening to her speeches, which was, I want to thank my husband, Fred, for letting me come here. Uh, And she said this mostly just to irritate other feminists and women liberators that were at the events. 
because we hate to see a woman being allowed to do anything by a man. But that was what she really liked to do as an opening. It's just so weird to me. I mean, I think it's weirder that she didn't truly believe it and said it as an opening. Yeah. Because, like, I genuinely think that if Fred had been like, no, you can't go, she would have been like, oh, well, then we're having boiled chicken for the next three weeks for dinner. And Fred would have been like, okay, you can go. Let's have meatloaf. Yeah, exactly. Some opponents actually called Phyllis a hypocrite for pursuing so energetic a career while campaigning campaigning for uh, traditional family roles. And I think that's a really great point. That was one of the big reasons why I wanted to discuss her because I think that that's a really true statement that she's very hypocritical and we'll get to that with our discussion questions, but keep that in mind. She often replied when being faced with those, um, those, uh, like I want to say like a hypocritical statement. She often replied to say that her political career was just a hobby and saying she would never actually offer an opinion on whether women should or should not work outside the home, even though she truly did make pretty evident what her opinion was on that. And I also feel like that's a, that's a pretty big point of privilege to just call your career a hobby. Yeah. Because it does, it does imply that, you know, if things had gotten stressful at home or if a child had gotten sick, she could walk away from it, which I'm not like shaming. Like if you want to be a stay at home mom, I think that's great. My mom stayed home with us when I was a kid. Um, there's nothing wrong with it, but I think, like, calling what most people would call a career a hobby is almost, like, condescending in a way that, like, yeah, like, some people made that their career, and she's like, oh, this is my hobby. Like, um. Yeah, I agree. Um, actually, uh, Gail, she, she, uh, suggested that uh, Phyllis was used, I'm going to start that over. Is it she, he? I think. Okay. Uh, actually, the writer, Gail Sheehy, suggested that Phyllis had used marriage to liberate herself from paying jobs. Um, and this was a quote. So Phyllis Schlafly's formula for the better life then is based on marrying a rich professional, climbing the pedestal to lady of leisure and pulling up the rope ladder behind her. Um, Ms. Sheehy also wrote um, in New York Times, or she had wrote that in the New York Times in 1980. I can kind of respect that a little bit. Like, this is one thing I can respect about Phyllis Schlafly. She knew that she didn't want to be a working woman. And so I... I don't respect her pulling up the rope ladder behind her, and I think that is very evident. Um, But I do respect this idea of climbing to what they would call a lady of leisure. Um, We would call, like, like basically a trophy wife at this point. But, so I do kind of respect, like, that idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can. I just struggle greatly with... Again, like you said, with the pulling the rope up behind her and not, I think she gave a lot of women this sense that she was supporting them. In actuality, she was making it harder for them. And I think a lot of people believed that she was. Yeah, I think she really only represented. Sorry. No, go right ahead. Like the 1%, right? Yeah, she only represented wealthy 
Republican, typically white women. Um, she was not supporting poor women, women of color. But she did try to make it appear, though, like she was. Yes. This is the problem that I have. Yes. I would respect her more if she had just been blatant, like, this is what rich women want. Yeah. I would have been, like, valid. I don't particularly care, but valid. Yeah. Her husband passed away in 1993, and afterwards she moved from their limestone house in St. Louis where the Eagle Forum had its headquarters. Wait, I just skipped lines. I'm sorry. Her husband passed away in 1993, and Phyllis Schlafly then moved from their limestone house on the bluffs of the Mississippi River in Alton to a brick colonial-style house in the Sherbs suburbs of St. Louis. I can't talk today. Um, and this is actually where the Eagle Forum had its headquarters. And they were survived by six children. So despite the fact that she had such a wild career and, like, she worked and did everything she did, she had six kids on top of it all. I'm not shaming anyone for their family choices. If you want to be a stay-at-home mom to 15 children, I'm fine with it. If you want to be a stay-at-home dad to a cat, like, as long as it works in your relationship, like, do what you want to do. But, oh, my God, six children is a lot. Like, to me, it's a lot. Like, other people might be like, oh, no, like, the Duggars are not faced by six kids. I would lose my mind. However, here's another thing. How often was she home doing those motherly duties that she had been so, um, so, so strongly promoting? Like, how often was she doing that, or were they being taken care of by a babysitter this is true but i still feel like six children is such a financial drain is it though whenever you're like would it be a financial drain for like i don't know i'm trying to think of someone who has a similar status as her because i mean she was not only making so much money but also was fred because fred was doing very well this is true they were two income household in a time where that wasn't very common and also living was cheaper then it's like expensive to live but it's also like most people can't afford to die either exactly which is a very weird juxtaposition to have Mm -hmm. but no I just think that's wild six kids yeah um and now because we've talked so much about Phyllis's personal life, I wanted to take a little bit of a shift and talk about her education. So she attended Maryville College of the Sacred Heart in St. Louis, which is now Maryville University. Um, and then she transferred to Washington University. Um, it's noted that at the time when she was in university, she really didn't have any times for friends, dates, sororities. She actually wrote that instead as a student, she worked nights at a, mon- what is it? Munitions. What is that? Um, they would design, um, munitions factory would decide, design weapons and ammunition. Oh, like ammunitions. Ah, we learn something new every day, folks. Also, that's kind of crazy that that's where she worked. Okay. Um, she graduated uh, Phi Beta Kappa in only three years at the age of 19. So she was like, damn smart she Again, won- i respect her oh I my god yeah don't care for her yeah 
She won a scholarship to study political science at Radcliffe and earned a master's degree there in nine months, which is wild. Yeah, I mean, she was killing it. Yeah, she was. She, yeah, she was. Um, she wanted to attend law school at Washington University, um, but she didn't because her husband actually didn't agree with her. That's If you watch Miss America on Hulu, they kind of go through that struggling point. Um, in their relationship about how she wanted to advance her education but he was like um you're not actually working and also that's kind of weird because like i'm the husband and you're gonna basically be at the same status as me educationally and it was just like a really hard like i, I want to use the word juxtaposition again but it was and i do think I mean, we say that Phyllis Schlafly is hypocritical, and she is hypocritical in some aspects. I do not believe this is an aspect in which she was hypocritical in, because she genuinely believed that wives should listen to their husbands, and their husband had the final rule. Yeah. And I don't believe that. If I was ever with a partner, and they said to me, you're not pursuing this thing you really want, I would, um... That bitch. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, changing my Facebook status to single. Um, I actually don't change my Facebook dating status, but if I did. So I do feel like I appreciate the follow through and I do feel really bad for Phyllis Schlafly at this point in her life because there were a couple of things that she wanted to pursue that her husband shut down and she just went along with. So I do, I do feel, feel for her during that point in her life. Right. Um, eventually, though, Fred did agree, and she did enroll and get her master's, or not master's, but get her law degree, and in 2008, Washington University um, slash St. Louis awarded Phyllis Schlafly an honorary doctor of human letters, which I thought was really interesting since, I don't know, I thought it was kind of a political, it's kind of political, but like... Mm -hmm. I understand. She probably does deserve it based on the amount of work she did, even though I don't agree with it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And sometimes, you know, I don't know how honorary doctorates work. Like, can you call yourself a doctor? Um, I want to say no. I want to say it's more of like a, it's more of like a prestigious thing. Like, okay. I want to say, cause like, obviously like, I would hope you wouldn't be able to practice or anything with, like, an honorary, like, say you got an honorary doctorate in English or something, like, I, I mean, I don't know, actually, I don't know. Yeah, um, I mean, she wasn't gonna practice with it, it was only eight years before she passed that she received the honorary doctorate, I just don't really know how they work, um, I do think for all her efforts, and as much as I disagree with her, she was very deserving of it, she did a lot of work, um, but one thing that brought Phyllis Schlafly into really a position of notoriety was her viewpoints at the time. Um, the largest was her viewpoint on the Equal Rights Amendment. So if you recall, the ERA was proposed by Alice Paul in 1923. Um, they had really campaigned on it up until the early 70s, and at that point, many people felt that the ERA's ratification was imminent. Um, this is one of the reasons Schlafly became so famous for her opposition to it. Um, people really thought it was just going to pass rather quickly 
and be added and Schlafly began campaigning against it. Um, she started, I believe, several groups. I believe she started the Eagle Forum, but I could be wrong. Yeah, she did. Um, but she had several groups dedicated to really taking down the ERA. And so I do respect just her commitment to her belief. Um, her main opposition point to the ERA is that she, in her mind, was defending traditional gender roles and felt that they were very important to the family. And so this goes back to her father being laid off and her mother having to continually pick up jobs to support the family. Um, she felt that wasn't fair. She, her mother expressed interest in staying home and she wanted her mother to stay home. And so to her, fighting the ERA was like fighting for her mom to have a better life. So she was defending traditional gender roles within the home. And the most effective strategy um, was a major talking point about armed conflict. So she worked in a munitions factory test firing guns in college and later said that the ERA would eliminate the male only draft and it would allow women to be drafted into war. Um, my personal opinion is there shouldn't be a draft. Um, if you don't have enough people in your country who want to engage in a certain conflict, maybe you shouldn't be in the conflict. Yes. Um, that being said, I do think it's bogus that only men can be drafted. I do as well. Like, I don't want us to have a draft, but if we have to have a draft, obviously there are things that could get you eliminated. I know if you're not deemed healthy, um, I know if you have mental health issues, like those are things that should be what eliminates you from service. Basically, you're incapability should eliminate you from service not your gender agreed um at the time this was an incredibly useful defense i'll be quite honest i would be mad if i was drafted i wouldn't want to be drafted to a war i didn't want to engage in but um, a lot of people that like was like libertarians that went against her with that like she would say that at like events and they would be like so we're okay with drafting our sons like, because she would say, like, how, we, do we really want our daughters to be drafted? Like, is that something we really want? And then the women would be like, so we're saying it's okay that our sons are drafted. Like, like this is a, an okay thing. Like, we're just going to pretend, like, men going off to war is, like, we're good with that. Like, morally, we're okay with that. But girls, no way. And it's a lot easier to talk about now than it was to talk about in the 70s because the draft was such a big thing in the 70s. Um, we, I think it was the 70s we were engaged in Vietnam. Yes. Or was it the 60s? I'm almost sure it went into 70s. I will look that up. I think it was in the early 70s. Um, and I mean, that was a huge time for free speech and right to organize. Um, the Supreme Court saw a case that basically said you're allowed to wear a jacket that says F the draft on it into a courthouse. Um, that was a major case. So I do think um, she had a really good strategy in pulling in the draft to this. Yeah, it was from 1955 to 75. So okay, 20 years. Yeah. Um. So the anti-ERA activists used traditional symbols of the American housewife in their lobbying efforts. Um, 
And one thing that I just thought was interesting is they would take homemade foods like bread, jams, apple pies, all of those things with legislators, and then they would use the slogans, preserve us from a congressional jam, vote against the ERA sham. Um, another slogan was, I am for mom and apple pie. I, like, I don't feel like, I feel like the congressional jam was the superior slogan, but I appreciate the mom and apple pie one. I just feel like congressional jam was superior, and I really appreciate that campaigning technique. Oh. I think that was really effective. Um, Schlafly said that the ERA was designed for the benefit of young career women and warned that if men and women had to be treated equally, that social condition would threaten the security of middle-aged housewives without job skills. And this was a really prominent issue at the time because um, widows and single women who were older, divorcees, things of that nature were um, not always guaranteed protections. And so when, when I work at the university, um, portions of my paycheck go to different taxes. I pay local tax, state tax, federal tax, and I also pay into Pennsylvania unemployment and social security. So then when I retire, I won't retire from university, but let's say I work in the conduct office as a student worker for 60 years. Then when I retire, um, I will be able to collect social security. And this happens at pretty much any job you work now. When you are a housewife, you're not paying into social security, mainly because you're not receiving a paycheck. Um, and so if you're a divorcee or if your husband dies, you're not eligible for social security. You can apply to collect their social security and to collect their benefits, but it's not guaranteed. And so that was an important topic at the time. Um, she contended that the ERA would actually work to repeal legal protections women saw, such as alimony um, and the judicial tendency for divorced mothers to receive custody of their children. This was big because, again, if you'd been a housewife until um, you were divorced, you didn't have job skills to enter the workforce with. Um, not saying that being a stay-at-home mom isn't a job. It's just like if you went to a bank, they would be less likely to hire you over a young woman straight out of college. And so alimony was a huge protection for divorcees. Um, it is less common now, mainly because the point of alimony is that if the husband is divorcing the wife, um, the wife has to be able to maintain the standard of living they had with the marriage. And so at the time, if you weren't able to hold a job, your husband or your ex-husband would still support you and your children. Um, I'm going to be really honest. I came from a split home. I lived with my mom. Um, I don't like my mom was a good mom. I'm not saying this because I don't want to live with my mom. I don't think women should automatically receive custody of the children. Agreed. I think it should be, um, if the children are young, the more qualified parent. And then if they're older, a lot of times courts will just say, where do you want to live? However, I will say that like, as someone also from a, um, like a, not a split home, but like my parents did uh, separate, that uh, a lot of times courts, even if the child is over the age of like 12 and you ask 
what does the child want, they won't take the kid into consideration. That's a big issue yeah. for a lot of people because then that's why a lot of times um, parents will stay out of the judicial system if they're uh, preparing to leave or whatever. They just stay out of the judicial system because they don't want the court to not listen to the child. This is true. I feel like at 13, like 12, 13, you have a pretty good understanding. Um, I know in PA at 15 and 16, they'll just ask you because you can emancipate yourself at 15. Um, you saying I want to live with my mom or I want to live with my dad doesn't automatically determine which parent you go with at 16 years old. Um, but it does sometimes play into if they're both qualified parents sometimes it just plays into the final decision um but this was a big deal the idea that mothers would leave and lose custody of their kids because that was an issue that really stemmed back to the 1800s where husbands um could be abusive and the wife could leave but she had to leave the kids behind um Schlafly's argument here that protective laws would be lost really resonated with working class women. Um, I think that was another huge strategy and I think it is important to consider um, what happens to divorcees and to widows. I just don't know and I'm not sure about the ins and outs of the ERA. I don't know that it actually would have eliminated those things. Um, but working class women were very afraid that it would. She, I want to say that that too is like so crucial in this because it's like with anything else that's political, people don't need to know the truth so long as they believe whatever they're told. So like we have issues like this uh, with our government now, like, People that say, I'm trying to think of a good example. We're going to go with coronavirus. I don't know if anyone has said this, but like saying like, actually, I don't have a good example. But just this idea that you can like scare women. It's like a scare tactic, being able to scare women into believing one thing, even if it's not what's being promoted like even if that's not what the truth is, truth is here is one thing i have heard i don't put much stock in this theory this was a man who had been drinking um we were at our camp and he walked up to our one friend's camp and was talking to us so i don't put stock in this theory and i don't even know if he believes it but he said that if there was ever a vaccine for coronavirus he would not get it because they would use the vaccine as a cover to inject a microchip into every person um, for tracking purposes and I guess just general spying purposes. He wasn't super clear about why they were going to inject us with a tracker. Um, and people sitting around the campfire bought into that theory. My issue with this, with that really, was that everyone sitting around that campfire except for two people had a Facebook. Facebook sells your information. They profit off of your information. Um, everyone at that fire had at some point in their life used Google Maps, which means Google is tracking their location constantly. 
um, we are assigned numbers at our birth and told this is your ID number, our social security numbers, keep it forever. Um, any information the government wants on you, they can get without injecting a tracker into you. Um, cell phones can be traced to within so many miles. Like, it's just a rather ridiculous theory that they would spend time manufacturing and then distributing micro trackers. But several people at the fire bought into that, and that's not true. Um, there's really no basis for thinking they're going to inject a micro tracker into you. But. And that's the thing, like, obviously that sounds ludicrous, but the issue is, is that if you're not being told what is truly going to be happening, then that scare tactic is really effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, technically, in support of his argument, I guess, no one has come out and said, we promise we're not putting trackers in your vaccines. I just don't care, because Facebook owns my information, and Google owns my information, and Snapchat owns my information, so, like, I don't have any more information to give. I've done sold it all. Do I regret selling it? No, not really. I kind of enjoy um, Facebook videos, I'm not gonna lie, but some people do. My grandparents don't have Facebook because they don't agree with the idea of selling their information, and I respect that. Um, So, I get how the scare tactic was effective because I see scare tactics like that being used today. She also had several viewpoints on women's issues or popular um, retorts to feminist issues, I guess you could say. She argued that sexual harassment on the job is not a problem for virtuous women and that sex education classes are like in-home, are like in-home sales parties for abortions. So if you've ever attended a Tupperware party or a 31 party, picture that, but it's Planned Parenthood trying to sell you an abortion. Um, Several flaws in this logic. First of all, you need to be pregnant to have an abortion. Just clarifying. You can't just walk in and be like, I'm bored today. Let's get an abortion. Um, Also... I'll just speak on my sex education. We've talked about sex education before. Abortion was never discussed in my sex health class. Um, They did tell us that you, basically, if you have sex, you will get pregnant. Um, And I mean, go ahead, yeah. Um. You can go. I'm just annoyed. So here's the thing. People are going to have sex whether you tell them to or not. Like, whether you say it's okay or not, they're going to do it any, whenever they plan to. The only thing sex education will do is make you an informed participant whenever you choose that it is time for you to have sex. So... Sex education, anyone who believes that sex education is permitted, it's like promoting uh, sexual deviance or people to have sex early on is full of it. Because the thing is, is like, if we really want to prevent abortion, like if people are truly pro-abortion or anti-abortion, 
then we should be for sex education. Because if we educate people on contraceptive use, if we educate them on where they can go to seek medical assistance, if we educate people that, I don't know, sterilization for everyone at any time in their life, if they want it, is okay, we will be decreasing abortions. I promise you. You'll never fully get rid of abortions. Um, they are a medically necessary procedure. So sometimes in the length of pregnancy, things will go wrong and the mother's life is put at risk. Um, and that does require an abortion. Sometimes if you are far enough along and the baby dies in your womb, um, you're forced to have an abortion because it's too large to just like come out as a little blood clot, but it's not big enough to go into delivery. Um, but you can't leave it there because it's dying or dead and you will get sepsis. You can't leave dead things in your body. Also, a lot of times, like, if it's not that far along, but it's far along enough where you can't pass it, the other big concern is hemorrhaging, bleeding. Mm -hmm. So that is another concern. But yeah. So abortions will always be necessary, but you can decrease the number of abortions. Um, you know, had, I didn't have a kid in high school, but maybe had they informed us that, you know, these are ways to prevent children and things of that nature, maybe there would be fewer teenage pregnancies. And I don't think you'll eliminate teenage pregnancies either, but I do think... People truly believe the pull-out method is a, a, a legit thing. The like, pull-out method is not valid contraceptive. Thank you. Yeah, but people are taught that in high school. So it's like, because, for example, my first sex ed teacher, very religious man, did not teach us anything except about, like, contraceptive use, only taught us abstinence, brought religion into the classroom, made us watch a video where this girl got pregnant, and she was like, um, she, I forget exactly what happened, but it made the whole thing, like, super uncomfortable it was one of those like really crazy like 90s filmed health education videos where the guy's like you want something to drink and she's like sure and then they have consensual sex and then it's like the guy's at fault because they had consensual sex and neither of them were drunk but they had a drink and then she's like i don't blame him but then it's always like well it's the guy's fault because he should know better and i'm like there's so much happening here and it's, we're not getting anywhere. And then my second sex education teacher was also bad because he, he gave us like really not true contraceptive stuff. He also said really bad things about people that were gay. It was just, it was a time. Yeah. I have several wild sex ed stories. Um, one of which being they told us that like, you had to be a certain age to use a tampon. That's not true. They make, like, teen-sized tampons, slimmer tampons for younger users. Um, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like, it's a comfort thing, but otherwise, like, I, I heard this yesterday when I was at clinical about how a girl was told by her, like, her church, like, the, they were telling the parents, like, don't let your kids use tampons because it'll break their hymen and then they're not a virgin anymore. And I'm like, literally, what is happening? But I knew a girl who broke her hymen horseback riding. 
seriously, like it happens for, and some women have sex and their hymen's not broken. Like it's a wild time. Yeah. That, some, people that is wild. some people aren't born with one. It's great. Fun facts with Caitlin and Taylor. Yeah. I will say the thing that always stuck with me is we had to pass around, I think it was like a flower of some sort and everyone took a petal and they're like, do you want this stem? And we're like, no, not really. And he goes, well, people don't want you if you sleep with a bunch of people. No one knows. If you don't say anything, no one knows. If you genuinely think that women can push a baby out and go back to relative normalness down there, but that multiple partners stretches it out, I just, can I recommend you audit a logic class? Clarion offers audits. You could audit a Clarion University class on logic to improve, fix yourself. I also have an issue with the viewpoint that people deserve sexual harassment on the job. Do not harass your employees. Do not harass your bosses. Do not talk about sex in the workplace. Like, there's nothing wrong with sex, but don't be like, oh my god, last night was so amazing. Like, you make everyone uncomfortable. So in 2006, she did an interview with The Times, and she attributed the improvement in women's lives in the 20th century not to feminism, but to labor-saving devices like the indoor clothes dryer and paper diapers. (laughs) Drinking coffee, and I was slurping, for those of you wondering. So here's my thing about this. That's saying that these indoor devices, labor-saving devices, are for the women's use alone. And I would just like to say, no thanks. I have, I'm upset. Also, I don't do dishes. Also, I don't have a, uh, I know it's not listed here, but like a dishwasher. My dishwasher's name is Dante. Like, I don't, I, I don't know. The improvement in women's lives, I would like to say, is not thanks to labor-saving devices, but maybe, like, I don't know, the fact that, like, in 1999, we were allowed to no longer be, uh, you know, raped by our husbands. Like, that was found to be finally not, like, it was legally a thing that was created. Like, you don't, you don't have to suffer anymore. You're welcome. And I get that when she says feminism, she means the feminist movement. Feminism truly just believes that you feel women should be treated equally. And so it was due to feminism because it was due to judicial rulings saying women have rights in a marriage. Um, I understand she's saying it's not all due to the feminist movement. And I would, I guess, agree with that. I do think there were other things outside of the feminist movement that helped to improve women's lives, but I do see the feminist movement as the catalyst. Um, here, here's one thing. I was going to say everyone's entitled to their opinion, and you are. You are not entitled to your opinion to be a fact. Ooh, put it on a shirt. So she can believe this. That doesn't mean it's true or that I have to respect it as a belief. Um, people have bad opinions all the time, and you're allowed to be told you have a bad opinion. Um, obviously saying my favorite color is blue isn't a bad opinion. 
um, but saying women do not deserve a place in the workforce is a bad opinion. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a trash take. Um, Phyllis Schlafly had a trash take. She had some good takes mixed in there. Um, but, you know, <laughs> in 2011, she, another trash take, um, spoke out for shotgun marriages. If you don't know what a shotgun marriage is, um, it's where, like, um, I'm just going to use Caitlin and Dante for an example. So they are engaged. Congratulations, Caitlin. They've, okay. It's not a recent thing. Um, but if Caitlin found out tomorrow that she was pregnant, they would quickly get married so that it would appear they were married when the child was born. And she argued this was a solution to unwanted pregnancies. Typically, the pregnancy isn't unwanted because the parents aren't married. Um, that's not really a huge reason for pregnancy termination. It's usually things like, we're broke. We don't have the money to raise a child. Um, we're not in a good position in our lives. There may be some health issues. Um, like, or just... I was going to say, or they might just be like, I'm going to be a trash parent. I don't think this is good. Yes, I think it's important to recognize that, like, I don't have maternal instincts. Like, I don't see a baby and go, like, ooh, let me hold it. I'm like, don't drop it, don't drop it, don't drop it. Um, I have this, like, irrational fear of dropping babies. Have I ever been in a situation where I would drop a baby? No, not really. But I still feel like it's something that could just happen one day. Um, just not wanting a pregnancy is a valid reason for abortion. Um, my only point in listing common reasons women get abortions is to prove that shotgun marriages wouldn't improve those. If you and the father are dirt poor, you're not going to become wealthy just because you get married. You're just a little less dirt poor. And also, it's a, I think shotgun marriages also, um, it, it's more of like a societal thing of like making it seem like you have it together more than you do. Yeah, I mean, in the end, shotgun marriages don't always work. Yeah. And so sometimes that causes a little bit of resentment between the parents, whereas if they had simply co-parented separately from the beginning, that resentment might, might not be there. Yeah. Um, okay. That being said, if you get a shotgun marriage and it works, that's completely valid for you. You should not push it onto people to prevent unwanted pregnancies because uh, at the point of a shotgun marriage, by definition, the pregnancy has already occurred and is already unwanted. Um, so, yeah, yeah, Phyllis had some opinions on women. She also had some opinions on the international political arena. In graduate school, she wrote papers in support of an active United Nations. Um, she felt that they could promote peace, promote morality, um, in countries who are struggling with their democracy. Um, she quickly quickly 180 on that viewpoint we were almost to a spot where i could be like oh phyllis we we, we agree 
I appreciate Phyllis in graduate school. <laughs> I appreciate graduate school Phyllis. She, that is a good opinion that an active United Nations can help promote peace. They cannot force peace because their peacekeepers come from other countries, but I do think it's important to have a forum where all countries can meet together and have discussions. Um, she did call the atomic bomb a marvelous gift that was given to our country by a wise god. Um, if we really think God's like, yes, let me give you something that's going to kill people, then we need to reevaluate what what religion and theocracy is. Yeah, I I feel like personally, I'm opposed to the atomic bomb. Um, I know people say that it worked to end World War II. Um, it devastated lives, and it is continuing to devastate lives to this day, even though they have not actively. Um, used one in quite some time on a population, but there are generations of genetic issues from exposure to radiation. Um, you know, there is the trauma of watching a town be completely leveled um, by, like, literally just something dropped out of the sky. Like, I just have several issues with the atomic bomb. I also have the issue that it created a huge arms race, which led to a lot of people trying to harness nuclear power in an unsafe manner. Um, we still don't know where some of these things are. They're lost. Yeah, there have been cases of them losing um, atomic reserves or atomic bombs. I don't know how you lose that. Like, I've lost my shoes, like, in my house, but I've never, like, lost my cat. Um... So I feel like I'm confused on how you lost something so important, but I guess whatever. Like, I, I hope you find it. I hope it's safe. Um, they do atomic bomb testing today, so they bury them deep underground, blow them up, and see what happens. If you think that's all right, um, enjoy your radiation-flavored water. Um... She opposed summit meetings and limits on nuclear testing and favored a constitutional amendment to prevent the president from negotiating international treaties. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of information right here. Um, summit meetings are very beneficial because they allow people to talk in what is seen as a neutral zone. Um, great things have come out of summit meetings. Um, limits on nuclear testing is important. I don't want them testing a nuclear bomb 100 miles under the ground, 10 miles away from my house. No, so I like my, re I like my water to be radiation free. It's just like this weird feeling I have. Um, I also don't think, you know, at the time we didn't really know the effects of nuclear testing. Like they tested nuclear weapons in, I believe it was parts of Russia and like, like, when nuclear testing was first a thing, and, like, shit still doesn't grow there. Yeah. Like, it's still just a barren circle of Earth. Like, oh my god. We didn't know what nuclear testing could do. Um, I'm, I'm kind of fine with the president not negotiating international treaties. I don't think they should be the only person working on it. Phyllis? Yeah. I agree. <laughs> um, I think that International treaties should be negotiated with lots of people involved. Um, you don't want just 
one person and one person deciding the fate for two countries. Um, so go Phyllis, honestly. We finally found a place where we can have an agreement. Yeah, from now on, this whole episode from this point forward is just about international treaties. <laughs> um, Phyllis Schlafly was also vehemently opposed to same-sex marriage. She felt that it ruined um, the sanctity of marriage. She, she felt that it was a mockery. Um, for a long time, she felt that homosexuals um, were not really people and didn't deserve human rights. Again, you can have an opinion. I can't stop you from having an opinion, but I can say your opinion makes you a bad person. If you think certain people don't deserve human rights, you're a bad person. Um, this was a point of contention in her life because in 1992, a gay activist revealed that her son John was a homosexual. Um, I know that I don't particularly care for Phyllis Schlafly. I think this was wrong to do to her. I think this was wrong to do to her son, John. Um, I looked to see who the gay activist was, and I couldn't find who it was. I didn't look super close. I was just kind of skimming. Um, but I think that was wrong. Like, you should never out someone else. If someone wants to come out, that's perfectly fine. We should be accepting of them. It is not my place to out someone, and certainly not out of political motivation. That is wrong. I feel bad for Phyllis and her son. I feel like that was a horrible position to put them in. Um, and Phyllis did say that she considered the disclosure to be a deliberate attempt to embarrass her. Um, and it did not alter her disapproval of gay marriage. And I, I agree with that, not with her disapproving gay marriage. I just agree that this was done to embarrass her and likely her son, John, um, and that's not okay. That's not what coming out is supposed to be. Um, she did sort of walk back her previous statements in 2010, and she said of gay couples, nobody's stopping them from shacking up. The problem is that they're trying to make us respect them, and that's an interference with what we believe. That makes me sad, though, for John. That does. And I do think it's hard to live in a family where you're not accepted. And some people live with the fear that they won't be accepted. Um, but they're unsure. I think it's incredibly hard to know that your family will never accept you. Um, and I do feel bad for him, and I feel bad that he was put in that position. I feel bad that he didn't get to come out on his own, that it was forced upon him. Um, and I feel bad that his mother feels that respecting human beings goes against her belief. Um, I'm not a super firm Christian. I don't go to church every Sunday. Haven't read the Bible in a long time. I don't ever parade to be a Christian, but what I remember of church is that we respect everyone. Everyone is deserving of respect and kindness. It's not okay to just pick someone and say they're different. I'm not respecting them. And so I don't think the God she believed in would support this viewpoint. If she wants to say she disagrees with homosexuality, that's one thing, but to say you will not respect someone for their sexual orientation, um, I think that's wrong. And I think that's not a valid opinion to have. Through that. Certainly not in 2010. Um, since we've talked a lot about what Phyllis believed in and like um, how she had those beliefs and how she paraded them, now I wanna talk about how that impacted her activism. 
So educating herself in conservative philosophy, she submitted articles against the New Deal to Red Book and other magazines, but they were rejected. I'm surprised that they were rejected. I know she probably didn't have the, uh, the, like the, the, I don't know what to call it, like the, not support that she had later on in her life, but she probably was prestige. Yeah, she didn't have the prestige that she had later on in life, so I'm I'm not surprised that they were rejected. But I think if it would have been later on, that would have not happened. Um, throughout her life, she wrote slash edited 27 books, and she published a monthly newsletter from 1967 on um, a number of topics. And I think it's really interesting if you look at a lot of her books because um, they were very well, like, well-received in a sense that, like, even if you didn't agree with her, most people bought them and read them. Um, in 1980, a protester threw an apple pie in her face at the Women's National Republican Club reception in New York, which painfully scratched her eye. She actually had to go, like have an eye patch for a time and everything and I think it's hilarious especially if you watch um Miss America on Hulu they do a great job at uh reenacting that scene I think it's hilarious and I do feel a little bad for laughing um I really only think it's funny because they used apple pie yes. in their campaign and so there's a little bit of irony um I don't necessarily support throwing pie at people who aren't actively like aggressive um it just feels weird to me if they're just speaking and I guess her views were harmful so I see that it's just like it's a weird position for me because it's funny and part of me is like she deserved this but the other part of me is like it's mostly funny because she didn't get seriously hurt like she had to wear an eye patch, which is also kind of funny. <laughs> so good. Um, she was a member of the John Birch Society. For those of you that don't know, this is an advocacy group um, supporting anti-communism and limited government. Um, though she quit and denied involvement with that group when she promoted her first book, which is A Choice, Not an Echo, was released. If you have to quit a group to save face, don't join the group in the first place. Agree. Agree. The John Birch Society is actually a really far-right group, and they're mocked today for their beliefs. And she clearly knew that, because when she was promoting her book, she was like, oh, no, I was not involved with them. Even though she told she was. Exactly. Um, she was involved in the National Federation of Republican Women. She even tried to serve as the organization's president, though she did lose in the race. Um, I think that's just because even though I think a lot of people were very timid to have like a lot of connection with her, like Republican women liked the support she brought to the Republican movement and the fact that she brought more women to the Republican movement. However, um, because she was so, she, there was so much contempt for her in a lot of different ways. Um, I think people were really timid to like for her to be in charge of their organization. American feminists made their greatest bid for national attention in 77 at the National Women's Conference in Houston. Um, however, historian 
Margie J. Spreel, Spreel is how I'm going to pronounce her name. Sorry if it's wrong. Argues that the anti-feminist led by Shalafli organized a highly successful counter-conference, the pro-life, pro-family rally to protest the National Women's Conference and make it clear that feminists do not speak for them. Again, that is something that is also really um, shown in the Miss America uh, television show. I think that really does highlight like how much contempt that was going on in Houston at that time and how they tried to, how their protest really did harm the uh, women's conference, despite the fact that I think that there was a little bit more support in the country at the time for the women's conference. And this is one of those events that I can respect a little more than her other um, undertakings, mostly because I think it's very valid to say this group of people, though they are advocating for what they believe to be the best course of action for me, do not speak for me. I think that's very valid, and I think that's okay. Um, am I sad that it was the National Women's Conference? Yes, because I am a staunch feminist. I believe in pro-choice. I'm still pro-family. I think if you want to be married and have six children, go for it. That's great. I think you should live your dream. But I also think it's okay to say my dream is not to have kids. Well, I have a cat and he's quite a handful actually. I really also like it bothers me because Phyllis Schlafly was the head of this movement saying that feminists do not speak for them and it's really hard for me because like I don't feel like Phyllis Schlafly was speaking for these women either because, or she shouldn't have been because she is living a life not like they are. So it's like having, I don't know, even though a man can sympathize with you, it's like having a man advocate for women's rights. It's like really hard. It is. And I agree with that completely. Um, I do think another reason she was so active politically, even though she argued it was a hobby is early on her ambition was to work for the federal government in Washington. Um, she was unable to find a job in Washington. And so she found a spot at a conservative think tank, the American Enterprise Association, um, which was the forerunner of the American Enterprise Institute. And so I think it was at this time that we do see a shift in her beliefs, just because she went from pursuing higher education and believing that the United Nations was a good thing. There are some things that she walked back later on. And I think this is like a turning point for her. Um, in 1946, she returned to St. Louis and worked on Claude Blakewell's congressional campaign. And this was a successful campaign. He was elected. Um, Mrs. Schlafly was introduced to electoral politics in 1952 after Republicans had asked her husband to run for Congress. Um, at this time, Mrs. Schlafly was more involved in politics than her husband, so I'm sure this was kind of hard for her to take. Um, he did turn down this offer. And so Mrs. Schlafly at 27 instantly volunteered to take his place. Um, and she did. They allowed her to run on the ticket. She won the Republican primary, but lost the general election. Um, she served as the president of the Illinois Federation of Republican Women from 1956 to 1964, and then founded the Eagle Forum in 1972. The Eagle Forum started as Stop ERA. She for 
She founded the Eagle Forum in 1975. The Eagle Forum started as Stop ERA in 1972. Um, when it was clear that the ERA was not going to pass, they then shifted in their motives. Um, many saw her ability to mobilize the Citizens Army as her greatest accomplishment, and it really is. She was charismatic and she had a following. That's impressive, and I'm not going to detract that from her. In 1958, she and her husband started the Cardinal, oh God, Welcome to Wednesday's Women, where we can't pronounce any names. Started the Cardinal Minzenti. Minzenti. Okay. Minzenti Foundation, named for the Roman Catholic leader who was tortured and imprisoned by Hungarian communists to educate Catholics on the dangers of communism. Um, I'm sorry to the Roman Catholic leader who I can't pronounce their name. I apologize. Um, you know, I do think that was a valid effort. <laughs> the Schlafly's politics were concentrated on the external threat posed by communism, not the crusade against domestic communist infiltration um, of Senator Joseph R. McCarthy of Wisconsin. So if you remember McCarthyism, um, and the big red scare, his belief was that we, that communists were living in our country and we needed to eradicate them. Schlafly's beliefs were more communism, communistic countries pose a threat to our way of democracy. Um, so I can respect that opinion a little more than I can. There's communists among us and we must get rid of them. Um, McCarthy should never be celebrated. Not a fan of the Red Scare. And obviously communism was much more threatening, if you will, in the 60s when it was very present and people felt the Soviet Union was, well, I think they were Russia at that point. Russia was taking over yeah. um, these countries and instilling communism. So, um, you know, it was a big thing back then. She was angered by the cultural transformations of the 1960s. And this began, um, this transformation began with the 1962 Supreme Court ruling prohibiting state-sponsored prayer in public schools. Um, she had a group that went ringing doorbells for Barry Goldwater and then served as um, they're called foot soldiers for the Reagan revolution. Um, and they called them little old ladies in tennis shoes. So they were just little neighborhood ladies um, arguing for Republican presidents in the hope of, I guess, reinstating some of the things before the cultural transformation. Um, in 1964, Mrs. Schlafly was an active supporter of Goldwater's presidential campaign. In her self-published pocket-sized book promoting his candidacy, A Choice, Not an Echo, she contended that Republican presidential nominations were rigged by secret kingmakers. Um, this is still a common belief that elections are bought and rigged and um, that's not like I mean, it's a wild take, but it's not a far off take. Like, people believe that today. They'll tell you that 
you know, the top 1% by country's elections. And um, so, I mean, she was ahead of her time with that, with that theory. By some estimates, the book sold as many as 3.5 million copies. This is interesting because this was a self-published book. She didn't call like Random House Publishing. She like published it on her own and sold it. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth Colbert wrote in The New Yorker in 2005 that the book mixed fact, sensational politics, commonsensical truths, and elaborate conspiracy theories into a compelling but evidently bogus narrative. Um, it is widely known that some of the points brought forward in this book are very similar to conspiracy theories, and some of them have been debunked. So it's not incredibly far off. I do think that is like, I'm sure that was wild for her to hear, especially having sold 3.5 million copies. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Schlafly became closely identified with Goldwater's landslide defeat in 1964. Um, and that really was the turning point for her in politics. So she had led successful campaigns up to this point and lost dismally in the Goldwater campaign. Um, then just three short years later, she lost a bitter campaign for the presidency of the National Federation of Republican Women. Um, she then tried to turn her luck with another run for Congress from a different Illinois district in 1970, but unfortunately was unsuccessful. Um, she appeared on over 500 radio stations for daily commentary. Um, and this started in 1962, where she hosted a 15-minute radio show on national security called America Wake Up. Um, it was carried by 25 Illinois stations. So it was, I mean, it had considerable reach. She herself had considerable reach. Um, by the 60s, she was relatively popular. I think that made her defeats pretty stinging. Um, and your first loss is always hard. It just is. And so it's just unfortunate that her first loss came so far into her career. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because, like, this is already after everything that had happened with Stop ERA and everything. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and as we have already talked about, there is a lot, um, there is a legacy that she left um, that has been very much uh, enjoyed by the pop culture scene. Um, just because her story has so much drama that it it uh, translates well to pop culture. Before I go on, Taylor, is it Miss Maisel or Miss Maisie? You cut out. What did you say? Oh, Marvelous Miss Maisel or Miss Maisie? Maisel. 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 Mm -hmm. And also Midge Maisel. Yep, Midge. Okay, because I've never watched that. I've seen half an episode. <laughs> One place where Phyllis Schlafly is mentioned exclusively is the seventh episode of the third season of the TV comedy series, The Marvelous Miss Maisel, called Marvelous Radio. Um, this episode was set in 1960, and we see the protagonist agreeing to participate in a live radio commercial for Schlafly. Initially, titular Midge Maisel is 
enthusiastic towards the prospect of supporting a woman running for Congress. However, after learning about her political views, which are portrayed as ultra conservative and anti-Semitic, she changes her mind and refuses to speak um, her part for the show um, while already recording. We're already at the recording studio with the broadcast about to start. So pretty crazy. The other place where uh, she is very, uh, Phyllis Schlafly is seen in popular culture, which I have already referenced multiple times, is the FX miniseries Miss America, which partially focuses on Schlafly's life and activism. Um, I loved the show. I thought it was 10 out of 10. Uh, though some uh, of this year, the series is seen as inaccurate, there are numerous accounts um, from Schlafly's actual family, um, among other critics, that dispute the accuracy. Um, for several accounts. So there's like this idea, is it true? Is it not true? And it kind of has like moments of each. So if you've never seen Mrs. America, um, they go into, they cover the historical events, but they also cover like conversations that led to the historical events. And so all the historical events are true, proven true. No one's disputing those. What comes up for dispute is they have closed door conversations that we actually have no clue what was discussed there. And so they created their own dialogue. Um, if you're understanding that it is a historical fiction drama series, um, people will just be like, okay, whatever, you have to take some liberties. But some people feel that it's an inaccurate representation, not just of Schlafly, but of other characters portrayed in it. Um, but it's not like they're like changing history and trying to say that the ERA was passed. They're very clear about the defeat of the ERA. Mm -hmm. So now that we have had quite a long conversation about Phyllis Schlafly, we've reached our discussion questions. Number one, was Phyllis Schlafly a feminist? I would say, in all senses of the word, no. But if we take out, like, if we discount what she said, if we discount anything she ever said, if you look solely at her actions, yes. But based on what she fought for, no. I would actually argue with that and say that it's not what she fought for. It's the fact that she closed every door she walked through behind her. Yes. I think you can be a feminist and fight for pro-life and fight for pro-family and all of that and still meet the definition of a feminist if you truly believe you're fighting for women's issues. I think the fact that she hypocritically ran government camp campaigns held what anyone would call a career outside of the home and then insisted on speaking for women who she didn't represent she's not a feminist i think if she had only spoke on behalf of rich white women she technically would be a feminist a bad feminist but i think it's the act of pulling up the rope ladder that makes her not a feminist yeah Question number two. Do you think that the ERA would have passed without Phyllis Schlafly's campaign? Possible. 
I think possible. I mean, there was a lot of support, and I feel like maybe that extra push that they needed would have been there had um, she not been so influential in trying to get people to disagree with the campaign. Yes, I agree. I think the campaign would have passed, or the amendment would have passed without the campaign. Um, Everyone thought its passing was imminent. It was not the bloody battle that the 19th Amendment was. Yeah. Um, Also, a lot of people felt that it was a common sense amendment. Women should be treated equally. Valid. (laughs) Common sense. Let's put it in there. Um, So I do think, I guess, props to Phyllis for accomplishing her dream. Yeah. (laughs) And finally, do you think Phyllis would have achieved more if she hadn't been married? I think Phyllis really kneecapped herself by marrying, quite frankly. Um, And I respect her choice to get married. She said her dream was to marry rich and not have to work. I respect that. I think she could have achieved a lot more had she not married. Yeah, I think so too. I think very much so. Because I think that by kneecapping herself with having... Because I think if she could have said, oh, you need to agree with your husband versus I have to agree with my husband. Yeah. I think that she really did kneecap herself there with some of her opportunities. I also think she wouldn't have been called such a hypocrite. Yeah. Yep. I agree. Um, She may have even been a little more successful in some of the campaigns she ran. Yep. We'll never know because she married good old Fred. Yep. He was an asshole. Yep. (laughs) Putting it out there. (laughs) I'm impressed with Phyllis Schlafly. I'm impressed with what she accomplished. Um, I don't agree with what she fought for, but I don't agree with what a lot of people fight for. That's not new. I don't think less of people just for having different opinions. There were a couple opinions Phyllis Schlafly had that I um, can't respect, and I think a little less of her for it. But overall, I respect that she led a campaign on what she believed was best. And no one really knows what's best. I mean, I can say that I fight for what's best for women, but I don't know. Women who aren't in my situation would disagree with me. Mm -hmm. So I respect Phyllis. Also kind of glad the episode's over. (laughs) So next week, um, in order to celebrate our favorite season, which is spooky season, We will be dressing up as two women, and um, this week we didn't film a video just because we had a couple rough weeks and we had to get back into the swing of things. We promise a video next week. Um, So we will each dress up as a different woman who we want to portray in the episode. We will talk for half the episode um, about our woman, and then the other co-host will talk about their women. Um, The format is going to be a little different. So after we have discussed our women, there will only be one discussion question. And it will be, why did you choose the woman you did? Hopefully you guys will enjoy it. I'm really excited about it. I'm pumped about it, but Amazon better deliver my package real quick. 
And before anyone yells at me for not supporting local businesses, I went to every local Halloween shop in my county and could not find the thing I needed for this costume. So I had to order off Amazon because people were like, don't do Prime Day. I'm like, I understand, but like, I need it. I love that. Like, support your local business as much as you can, but if they don't have what you need, it's okay to go to Amazon. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, this has been Wednesday's Women. I want to thank everybody for coming back and being so nice to us while we took our little hiatus. Um, And we hope you guys tune in next week for our spooky episode. How do I shut it off now? Oh, I know.